welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and joining me, as he always does, it's my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man who aptly watched The Wolf of Wall Street in preparation for today's show, Maxwell LeBauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. Twas not by choice, but it is a great film, so I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready up. to take over the world with money. I guess. <laughs> uh, I assume you get my stock up, stock down joke. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're we're about to talk strictly finance in this podcast. All, all of you thought we were talking tennis. We're not. So. <laughs> well, Westoff, you can give me a little boom boom for that joke there. But yes, as you mentioned, Rothman, we have a lot to discuss. The ATP 2019 season is well underway, and that's what we'll be doing today. Before we get into our discussion... Got to ask you, if you missed anything in the tennis world, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We'll get you caught up on everything going on in the tennis world. College tennis is obviously right upon us. We've got Matt Sikowiak and Ryan Cardiff giving their previews for all of the teams this season. Of course, check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us there. Like our comments. We want to hear from you guys as well, so let us know what you're thinking. If there's any topics you want us to cover, anything you think we're missing, we'd be happy to get into that. Rothman, before I plug the Cracked Interviews podcast, I want to commend you on your recent interview with Sam Query. I got the chance to listen to that. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Uh, Well, we did a little bit last pod, but just to remind you all, uh, did have a great conversation with Mr. Query, who just was married uh, recently, so kudos to him. Uh, but it was after the California Championships presented by UTR uh, out in beautiful Palos Verdes in California. Uh, cool tournament. You know, they, they had all different types of player from the lowest ranks of UTR all the way up to, obviously, the pros like Sam Query and, and Taylor Fritz. Uh, so I got to talk to him, Stephen Armitrage. Uh, and a few others that and those interviews will be coming out soon as well so look out for those when when they get released I want to ask you because we are going to talk about some of the guys you saw there it's a different type of event and yet they got a pretty good showing oh absolutely uh they they had some great players unfortunately Stevie had to pull out um and I think Donaldson did as well but uh great turnout great college players came uh super high level uh also really fun just the, the community that was there, uh, a really great group of people. They, they're like the local security guard, I think, or the local police officer actually played in the tournament. He was like a UTR six or something. And uh, then later that day was actually the security for the tournament. It was, it was a nice story. Uh, oh, so that's awesome. And again, if you want to hear any of those interviews, go listen to our other podcast, the cracked interviews podcast, subscribe, rate review, you know, uh, tell your friends about it. Obviously do that with this podcast as well. The great shot podcast. But with that said, Rothman, let's get into today's topic. We're going to do things a little bit differently in 2019. Last year, Whenever there was a big glop of tournaments, we would do our best to break down all of the draws, talk about our favorite matches in those draws, try and cram as many of those matches in as possible into a one podcast episode. 
Obviously, I would have been happy to continue doing that, but I know you, Westoff, always get on me about these episodes are too long, we have to condense, we have to summarize, and you're not wrong, so we're going to do things a little bit differently. What we're going to be doing is introducing a new segment that we're calling Stock Up, Stock Down, Stock Hold, and that was the purpose of the Wolf of Wall Street joke. Uh, A little bit on what this will be, we're going to talk about the guys you know, that most dominated the week of tennis, and there were a ton of events. We had Numea, Playford, and Orlando on the challenger level. We obviously had Doha, Brisbane, and India, as well as on the ATP level, as well as Mubadala in Abu Dhabi and the Hopman Cup, where we got to see a bunch of ATP players play as well. Uh, we are not going to be talking about Sydney, Auckland, you know, any of the events this week. We're recording this on Wednesday, and of course some of those events has have started, as has the Aussie Open Qualies. We're probably not going to get a, a chance to talk about all of that before we get into the Australian Open, because that is right upon us. And it's crazy how quickly that comes up in January, Rothman. But we are going to focus on that first week of tennis, because there are definitely things to take away from this first week of play. Absolutely. And I mean, look, we, we were texting each other and saying how overwhelmed we were with the amount of tennis. And, and I'm sure all of our listeners are as well. There is just an absurd amount of match play going on. Uh, and so, like we said, we are going to try and cover, you know, the ones that we thought were the most impressive, the players that were the most impressive, the players that were the least impressive. Um, but definitely, you know, if you guys see players that you want us to talk about as we kind of transition into this new way of uh the podcast uh let us know we, we'd be happy to to bring in your perspectives as well so completely agree with you there rothman i want to start with a stock up let's start with the positives right start on a fresh note it's 2019 there are guys sure. who clearly did a lot of work this off season and it, you know that work has come to fruition now in their first events i want to start on the challenger level and talk about a couple of guys that i thought really shine through i am also so flabbergasted by the amount of tennis I've watched. I've probably watched 15 hours of tennis over the past three days. I know that's embarrassing. The, the, be- but... the beauty of the government shutdown. <laughs> Definitely if, if quack you can call that. it that. <laughs> quack that, Westoff, because I don't want to get in trouble, but that's so true. You're 100% right, Rothman. Um, yeah, so let's start there. I want to start in Noumea because there were a couple of American guys that stood out, and obviously those are always going to be the guys we focus on on this podcast. Let's start with a guy we've had on the Cracked Interviews podcast, a guy you and I got to know in Stowe, Vermont, when we went out there, with Noah Rubin, who made the Numia Challenger final. Played some outstanding tennis along the way. In the quarterfinals, he takes out Ty Kwiatkowski, 7-5-6-3, a guy I want to talk about later on as well. He takes out Donald Young in the semifinals, 2-3, and three, and then he ends up losing to Mikhail Yimmer, 3-3 three and three in the final. Rothman, you'll remember last year, Ruben came out strong as well, ended up beating Fritz in the final there to win that challenger title. So obviously he had a ton of points to defend. And this went about as well as you could expect. Now, the things I want to talk about, the reason why he's my number one guy on this portion of Stock Up, and Westoff, if you could throw in a Stock Up sound effect, please. we got to have something good. You look at Ruben's first serve, especially in the Kwiatkowski match, he only makes 55% of them, but he won 80% of those first serve points, going 33 of 41, goes 18 of 34 on his second serve, winning 53% of those points. If you watch the match, you saw a new form of power, and it's not like Noah Rubin got any bigger. He certainly didn't get taller, no offense, Noah, and... 
he's always been stocky in stature. He's always a guy who's in shape, but there's added juice. I don't know if he's pronating better. He's certainly going down the tee with more pace on the ad side. I think he's added a slice out wide on the deuce, and he can hit the tee on the deuce side still quite well. I even saw a renewed kick serve out of him. He was aggressive against Ty. You know, Ty was a guy who he looks better as well. He's not slicing as many backhands. He's trying to be more aggressive. Always has had a huge serve, and you know, Ty wins 68% of his first serve points. But I think the difference between these two guys, something that I think if Noah's going to have success on the ATP uh, Tour moving forward, he needs to continue to do, is he held Kwiatkowski to 11 of 27 on second serve points. Kwiatkowski only converts 41% of those points. Ruben was taking returns early. He wasn't getting trapped behind the baseline. He was even willing to move in. And the volleys certainly don't look great, but they look better. And that's why, to me, he was a guy I certainly took note of. Yeah, I mean, you, you covered him well, and, and I know you were excited about this, so I wanted to let you finish. Um, but we have I, a lot I, invested in Noah Rubin. We do. He's, he's our guy, um, you know, fellow, fellow tribe member as well, so <laughs> it's something I always got to keep in mind. But I, I agree. I, I watched some of it too, and we've talked about this for a while with him that, you know, the one thing that he really doesn't necessarily have is a strong serve or a dominant weapon that's – Besides his speed, right? I mean, we've seen the guy literally run out of his f-ing shoes. Like, they, they literally ripped. So, we know he's got that. I agree. The the serve needed a little more pop, and it looked good. The question is, none of the guys that he played in this tournament, I would consider to be, you know, huge returners. Guys that I'm nervous about when, when they're coming at you after, on a return. So, I want to see him take that pop and go up against a, a, a really, really solid returner and, and see what happens. Uh, but, look, if he can take this... Can I, can I disagree? Well, let's not even disagree with what, you. You're to your, no, no, no. To your point of when he goes up against a, some firepower, how does that hold up? I think in the final against Mikhail Yimmer, we saw Yimmer's a guy who's explosive. He's a great athlete, can hit a winner from any point on the ground. He did that against Noah Rubin. He wasn't afraid to dictate, wasn't afraid to go after his shots. He gets his first challenger title of his career. By the way, Mikhail Yimmer, only 20 years old, now up to a career-high 195. But getting back to Noah Rubin, you know, he's right now at 140 in the rankings, just off his career-high of 126. He won his first-round match at Australian Open Qualies, and we don't have to talk about that performance. But for him, the goal this year is he's got to, you know, Hardcore Grand Slams, he's got to make the main draws there. There's no reason Noah Rubin can't win three qualifying matches, given that he's playing guys ranked 100 to the 250 range. And we see here, he can make finals. He is of that level to where he's got to be competing. And I think it's so crucial for him to get into the Grand Slams this year, get some chances to accumulate some major points at a major event and... You know, this is a big year for his career because it, it he's about he's getting physically developed. You know, he, this is the year he turns what twenty three. We should be seeing some things out of him. We've obviously shown a lot of love for our guy, and um, before we we move on, I I did want to make the point that you just made, which was he got through this tournament very comfortably, and at his current stage in his professional career, he should be. If we want to see him moving further in the the rankings as well as in the bigger tournaments he needs to be able to move through a tournament like this at at the comfortability that he did and the fact that he lost I don't see as a as a huge downside Yimmer played well he's a great player he's also someone that I think we should keep an eye out for this year but 
Uh, I, I think this is a, a very positive sign for Ruben. But someone I wanted to bring up because he was someone who trained with my coach growing up, and someone. Uh, that, here we go. I think here for we... can I get I the think... flashback violins? <laughs> is that a thing? Flashback violins? Or you know, like the while you're telling your sob story. Yeah, that's more of a sob story, violin. But I, I'm thinking more like the little mini guy from SpongeBob. You know, like the little <laughs> mini violin. Anyways. This is a guy that I think many people for a while have been, you know, rooting for, hoping it was going to make a breakthrough. And, and for the first time in his career, he took home a challenger title. That is Marcos Giron, who played some fantastic That was quite tennis. the intro. It was. If he heard that, he'd probably just be <laughs> grinning. At least what I'd is this? 50 be. questions? <laughs> he trained with Max Rothman's coach. He won the first challenge. Oh, it's Marcos Giron. <laughs> yeah. Fellow UCLA star, yeah, we could we could go on, um, but yeah, he just took his first challenger title in Orlando with some great wins along the way, including Novikov going one and two against him. I mean, that's a that's a really nice win. Takes out a lot of good players. He was playing aggressive. I mean, I watched his final against King, and he was ripping the ball. I mean. He, Everything early, striking through, pushing through the court. It, it was some impressive stuff from him. I, I agree with you. You know, it's reminiscent of his when he went got hot at the NCAAs. He can just hit through anybody. And he's obviously had two hip replacements since then. He took a year off, coached at UCLA. And, between, you know, he's up to 248 in the rankings, just 10 spots behind his career high of 238. But he's only got 16 rankings points to defend between now and May. And, you know, that's a stat from our guy, Jonathan Kelly. So, hey, great shot to him. If he can continue at this level, because you're right, every shot was working for him. The down the line on the backhand, the forehand down the line, moving forward, even his serve, his first serve. He, he kind of hits with a low margin of error over the net, and he was just slapping everything for winners. Again, he dropped only one set all week long. If he jumps into the top 150, you know, if he makes the U.S. Open, makes it through qualies, it wouldn't shock me. And, I, you know, that's got to be his goal for the years. He needs to be in qualifying for the Grand Slams. I think given that we don't know much about the new point system, that's so crucial for all of these guys in the challenger level is get into the slams. Give yourself a chance to make a main draw because we know how beneficial that can be to someone's career. So for Marcos Giron to accumulate these early points in the year, so big for him, gives him a chance to really do some things, and he'll be a guy we'll continue to watch. I want to talk about the ATP Tour because there was a ton of action there, but a couple other guys I have to mention from the challenger realm. I mentioned Ty Kwiatkowski. I was really impressed with the way he was hitting through the ball. I think he showed renewed confidence in his backhand and his forehand, a willingness to go down the line to try and hit that backhand cross-court, not just rely on the slice and his athleticism and he is incredibly athletic such a great mover but still he showed a great level and he's up to career high 266 another guy I saw and I was texting Jonathan Kelly about as well Ulysses Blanche who makes the quarterfinal in Orlando ends up losing to Michael Redlicky 764676 this is a guy ranked 302 in the world but is the same age as Stefan Kozlov Michael Moe Francis Tiafo so you know he's turning 21 this year and He's got some firepower, man. The serve, the forehand, the backhand. This kid can hit a winner at any moment. 
it's a little wristy, the forehand, his strokes. I don't love them, but I, again, you can't look at an athlete like that and not be impressed. So he's another guy I really took notice of. And then the last guy, the guy he lost to, Michael Redlicky. You know, he makes a semifinal in Orlando. Currently, he's up to 355 in the rankings, just four short of his career high, 351. I mean, he won a ton of tie breaks throughout the week. He beats J.C. Aragoni, beats Kevin King, beats Blanche. When you're 6'8 and can hit a serve like he can and can move like he can, I'm intrigued. And so he is stock up for me. He's not a guy I thought I'd be talking about in 2019, and yet he definitely caught my eye. Are there any other guys at the challenger level for you, Max, or do you want to give me your first ATP guy? I mean, there are, but I do want to move into the ATP. And I do also just, I mean, make the comment that we've been making, which is that there's such a depth to the field that it's coming into play. I mean, we're talking about guys in the 300 level who are playing fantastic tennis and we could see moving up as it, as this year goes. So, um, all these guys that we mentioned obviously are, are in the, the, you know, the two hundreds, the three hundreds, uh, the one hundreds, but the, by no means should any of you be, uh, counting them out of potential grand slams in 2019. You've been talking to Dalton too much. That comment was sponsored by him. <laughs> Sponsored by Dalton Theme, Cracked Rackets. No, all right. Yeah, uh, so that's let's, our stock up on that level. Give me some stock up on the ATP. So I think there's a bunch. Um, I want to start with one guy that I watched the, the finals of his match. I want to start with Roberto Batista Agut. Um, his match against Burdich made me very nervous for anyone who has to play him in Australian Open. He is hitting through the ball. He hits such a flat ball. And right now, I, I if he keeps playing the way he does, I see him in maybe even a quarterfinal of the Australian Open. And I know it's a crazy bold statement, but he's playing such good tennis. So his his route to the championship beats Baratini 6-1, 6-4. Beats Guillermo Garcia Lopez one and four. Beats Rinka four and four. He beats Djokovic in three, and he played clutch tennis in that match. That's another thing, just absolutely clutch, and the big points came through. And then he takes out Burdich in three. Uh, I'd be nervous. I agree with you in that he is certainly coming into the season in great form. I'm not ready to bet on him yet for the Australian Open. I guys can get hot, and you look at his results. He wins two three set matches matches he beats a Djokovic who had played two three set matches the rounds before had already had I think five six matches under his belt on this season so certainly worn down now that's not an excuse of course RBA played great but I don't know if I'm ready to bet on him I do want to talk about one of the guys he beat in the air two of the guys he beat really in the context of this first week of 2019 we saw a lot of injured players big names you know who dominated the 2010s thus far in terms of the tennis rankings make their returns on tour. These are guys I have in my stock up honorable mention, and I should say I have RBA in stock up obviously as well. But Stan Wawrinka, Tomas Burdich, and of course Joe Wilfred Songa all made runs in the first week of the season. You start with Wawrinka, who makes that quarterfinals in Doha, takes out Kachinov, our guy who we'll talk about later on as well, but he takes him out seven six six four. You know, wins seventy three percent of his first serve points, fifty nine percent of his second serve points. Hits seven aces to only one double fault. But we should say in terms of total points, one Kachinov wins seventy seven versus Wawrinka seventy six. So this was a very close match, 
And I think it's a testament to Stan having that big match experience, being comfortable in moments such as a first set tiebreak, you know, first match of the season. And, you know, then he defends that win by taking out another young stud who we've talked about before, Nicola Jerry, 6-4-7-6, before eventually losing to the red-hot Bautista Agut, 4-4 four four in the quarterfinals. You weigh that versus Joe Wilfred Songa, who took out Tanasi Kokonakis, 7-6-6-4, Taro Daniel, 7-6-6-3, Alex Dimenuer, 6-4-7-6, and then loses in the semifinal to Daniil Medvedev, 7-6-6-2. And lastly, and I'm sorry, Rothman, for talking this much. I swear you will have the floor after this. Tomas Burdich, who makes that final in Doha, takes out Cole Schreiber, Verdasco, Herbert, and Chechenato. So not exactly the toughest draw, but still fairly solid before losing in three sets to Bautista Gu in the final. Which of those three guys impress you the most? Which of those three guys do you think will be threats at the Australian Open? And are you stock up for all three? Do you think there's one who stuck out more than another? You know, just give me the scene. Yeah, so I made the comment about Burdich going, what, to a quarterfinal in Australian Open in our last pod. I made I made a pretty bold statement. Um, it was one of my, like, joking changeover chat predictions, but... He, he came through for me in this tournament, and yes, he lost to Batista Agut in the final, but he looks solid. He looks, as you said, a little bit skinnier than he used to. He's moving well, uh, and I, I think he has a, a really good shot to you know, make it at least a couple rounds, maybe a quarterfinal in Australian Open. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to necessarily make that a, a real prediction, um, but he's, he's definitely stock up in my opinion. I worry about Vavrinka. Um, you know, Hachanov, oh wow, I just went normal name, weird, I shouldn't have done that, <laughs> Kachanov, uh, he's been playing some good tennis, and, and I have my qualms with uh, Mubadala and, and that tournament as a whole, but he did play well, beating team twice, and you know, for Vavrinka to not be able to, to pull out that match, even against a, a pretty strong Kachanov, um, I think is uh, a little bit worrisome for him. Is it going to mean he's going to, you know tank the Australian Open and lose first round? No, but I think a, a lot of people have been waiting for him to kind of get back in his groove and, you know, start making a little bit further in these slams, and, and I'm not so confident. And then, last guy, my my dude, Joe Wilfred Songa Kelly. Shout out to our guy, Joe Kelly. I can't believe you didn't make that joke, you loser. I um, thought you'd want it. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, so, Joe Willie, you know, playing some solid tennis he's obviously pretty fresh back uh love that he's whipping out the one-hander honestly more than he ever used to that's like my favorite thing in the world hopefully stevie can learn a few things from him because joe willie's one-hander is honestly unbelievable i hope he fully switches i think his actually is way sicker than what stevie's would be um but, you know, he's playing good tennis. I'm, I'm excited. I think he's the kind of guy that could surprise some people. He might go play a big seed, get a big dub, uh, but then <laughs> lose the next match. That's I want to kind of save, thing I see from him. I want to save my Sangha takes for my stock holding and our discussion about Alex Dimenauer because I have some takes from that match. I watched, again, so many f***ing YouTube highlights in preparation for this. The amount of tennis is overwhelming. You're right. It's, that's the word you have to use because there's so many matches going on at once. The 48 draws on the challenger circuit certainly contribute to that chaos. It's a lot of tennis, but you know that's our job. That's why we watch it all. So I, I want to talk about I, that match a little bit later. I was going to say, I thought you were going to... 
I think the the more impressive match, and maybe this is where we move on to Dimenauer, because I want to talk about him and Opelka. Well, I want to save that for we're not talking about him and Opelka. We, that that's a this that's a yesterday match. We save that for the changeover <sighs> chat. I like where your head's at, but just save that a little bit. It Hold was that so fun. good. That's fine. But we, another guy I wanted to mention, I'll squeeze him in here and get my two seconds in. Andy Murray, he in Brisbane takes out James Duckworth three and four, loses to Medvedev seven five six two. I watched these highest lights extensively twice, and I'll say this: the thing that stuck out, Andy Murray goes seven of twenty one on his second serve. That sucks. You know, the second yeah. serve wasn't there. He's still obviously finding his groove. You know, Medvedev hits sixteen aces. The prime Andy Murray does not get aced sixteen times by anyone. Not John Isner, not Milos Raonic, not fucking anyone. So to see okay. his explosion off of his split step, a little bit concerning, I, knowing that he's got problems. Sorry, do you? I, I, I know. I, I know you're saying that he going. doesn't. I was saying I know you think he's not going to get aced by anyone, but I would make a bold statement that Medvedev has one of the best serves on tour right now. Well, him, him standing by the alley. Does he does? I mean, uh, for those of you who haven't watched Medvedev, he does this thing where he literally stands by the uh, by the alley like a doubles player would, and it he, he basically telegraphs where he's going, and nobody can do shit about it. It's unbelievable. So I disagree. I I totally think that that stat makes sense. Well, I I want to talk more about Daniil Medvedev, and he will be the next guy we get to. But I I have to make these last points on Murray. Andy Murray is known for his fitness, for the fact that he will get to any ball and he can hit through it, especially on the backhand side. Loves hitting the backhand on the run. In this match, he was way too content hitting the backhand slice, and his backhand slice looks better, but it's like, Andy, that is not your strength. And you could tell he was still getting his legs under him. But I didn't like that choice. I actually thought I saw him adjust in the match. When his do you backhand ever was like just a backhand off. slice? Well, you, you criticize that in every single player no, ever. I, I'm about when we get to Stefano Tsitsipas, who we will in the stock oh, holding. Okay. The one thing he needs, the thing he can't do that Federer can, and I know that's the most ridiculous standard to hold him to. Tsitsipas needs a backhand slice return. That ball that cuts things to neutral, he can't do that yet. He doesn't have the type of touch that a young Federer did, and I think it helps him because he's forced to hit through returns, and in the long term, that will help him on the backhand side. But it, it's just something I noticed this. But, again, you talked about Andy Murray. We'll stay on topic. And the guy he lost to, Daniil Medvedev. I had Daniil Medvedev in stock holding steady. I gave him the boost to stock on the rise because I thought his run in uh, Brisbane was just so impressive. The way he dominated Murray when 79% of his first serve points, 65% of his second points. We mentioned the ace-to-double fault ratio of 16-2. to two. I was also up at 4 a.m. Eastern time when he was playing Milos Raonic, and I watched that match end when he won 6-7, 6-3, 6-4. He beat Songa 6-2, and two, and then even in that final against Nishi Kori, though he lost 6-4, 3-6, 6-2, you know, he has success again, winning 63% of his first serve points. You know, he has six break opportunities in the match, hits another eight aces, unfortunately, against six double faults. I just don't see a weakness in Medvedev's game. Like, how, if you're scheming to beat Medvedev, your strategy has to be I need to hit him off the court. And there may be seven guys in the world capable of doing that, assuming Medvedev's playing his best tennis. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because I, in the past, have criticized him for, you know, not being able to necessarily move well enough. Uh, he is moving great. His forehand he, on the run is elite. 
It's one of his it, best strengths. It's Chilich-esque in that you're like, how is this guy doing that? But it works. 100%. And, but do you, what I see from him more than ever and I think is exemplified perfectly by his win over Murray is his confidence. 100% and I've ta- agree. And I've 100%. talked to – we've heard so many different players and coaches and just people in general talk about what confidence does for your game. And it's been clear. Ever since his win over Federer, he has been – confident as a player he knows he deserves to be in this elite group and he would not beat Andy Murray the way he did if he didn't feel that way completely agree with you I just think you mentioned the serve as a weapon he can crank forehands when he wants to you know sometimes his ball does hang short and his second serve hangs a little short and I think we saw Nishikori jump on that but I am so high on Daniil Medvedev's upside I think he's going to be such a solid player moving forward and I look forward to watching him. He's a guy, depending on his draw at the Australian Open, he could make a Kyle Edmund-type run of what we saw last year where he establishes himself. Maybe not a semifinal, but a quarterfinal could certainly be in this, his future because on a hard court, he is tough to play. You know, I want to get into my next stock up, and I know we've been on this segment for a while, so I, there's a lot of stock up because a lot of guys looked really good. I just want to talk about him briefly. Cam Norrie, a guy who had Hopman Cup, I thought was a star. You know, he beat CT Pass on day one, seven six six four. He beat Tiafo seven six six zero. Lost to Federer one and one, but that's going to happen, and we I don't really want to touch on that. But his game, it's just so solid. Another guy where there's nothing he can't do on the court. He's comfortable moving forward. He knows when to make those choices. He does not hit the biggest ball, but his ability to change directions, work the forehand, you know, forehand to a righty's backhand routinely, and then switch that forehand down the line. His ability to take balls early, really control pace on his backhand side when Tsitsipas was trying to step into forehands. I was really impressed, and I want to ask you this question about him, Rothman. You know, Steve Johnson now at 29 years old has four ATP titles, has a career high of number 21. He obviously went the college route, as did Nori. Nori at 23, a career high of 66, but no ATP titles. You think Nori can match what Steve Johnson did, maybe even surpass that later on in his career? Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I mean, I kind of thought Stevie would have done more at this point. And, 21's pretty know, good. Like, it is, it is, no doubt. Um, and, you know, Cam's not far behind. Obviously has six years to catch up to where Stevie's at now. It's tough to say. Um, obviously, like you said, Cam is solid. He's had some good wins. Um, but it's tough. Stevie has the elite serve and the elite forehand. The, those two you could put up against a lot of the top guys, and they're comparable. And that's what's allowed him to be streaky in tournaments, take some titles, can Cam string together, you know, six matches to win a title? Possibly. I, I think that's possible. Can he, Is he a top 20 player? I have a hard time seeing that, to be completely honest. He really frustrated Tsitsipas, hitting lefty slice serves into his body, into his backhand, hitting kick serves away from his forehand on the deuce side. It was an impressive performance for me. But, all right, I have one last guy for stock up, Rothman. Is there anyone else you want to get to? I, I want to talk about the stock downs, so I'll let you take this last stock up. All right. Well, honorable mention to my guys, 
Miomir Kesmenovic and Haumi Munar, who I am going to be high on this year like I was Medvedev and Tsitsipas last year. I think Kesmenovic is this year's Dimenauer, but we don't have to get into that take right now. Also, shout out to Brandon Holt, who won the LA 25K. You know, when a USC player can win at USC, that's always cool. But my last stock up, Rothman, one I think you will enjoy quite a bit. Roger Federer gets a stock up for me. Hopman Cup, he <laughs> dominated. He didn't drop a set. It wasn't the toughest competition. You know, he beats Nori 1-1, one one, beats Tiafo 4-1, but it was a very comfortable 4-1. Plays Tsitsipas tough, and that's a 6-6 six and six match. Both guys were holding serve the entire time. And then Federer plays his best tennis when he knocks off Zvira 4-2 in the final. Two out of three sets is always going to be his best format moving forward, but... Uh, He's the defending Australian Open champ, Rothman. Is he your odds-on favorite to win it? Um, no, he's not. I think again. I think. Do you see the smile on my face? Yeah, I hated it. (laughs) Um, in Australian Open, we've been talking. There's just too many guys that are gonna push him too hard in in these long matches. I think you're going to have to give it to someone who's just younger and more fit in this tournament. And look, maybe he'll surprise me, and I'd love that. Um, the odds have him in the top three guys to win uh, if you're looking at Vegas Lions. Uh, but I'm not sure that's the safest bet. And, you know, I think Kale would probably agree with me there. <laughs> I, I I think you said it best. It, it's hard to see him in a three of a five set lasting against an Anderson, a Djokovic, maybe even a, a Kiechenov. I almost corrected myself, I mean, but I said it, it. It's just hard to imagine. Look, what what happens if he draws, you know... Curious. Uh, that's perfect for him. Or, but what, what if matches. he draws a Burditch? What if he draws a Songa? What I if think he draws... that's best case scenario for him. I, it, guys like that, guys who aren't as spry, guys who are going to try and hit winners, that you can't out-hit, out-win or hit Roger Federer. You just can't, not even at this stage of his career. It's the guys who will physically wear him down three out of five sets. I don't think a Songa or a Burditch at this point of their careers can do that. I think that's a better matchup for him. Still, I'm stock up on him because he dominated Zverev. When he's hitting through the court the way he does, it, you know, it's hard for anyone to beat him. Well, all I can hope for is a Federer-Dimenauer match. That would be about my favorite thing to watch oh, that would in be, 2019. That would be absolutely beautiful. All right, we will come back with our stock-holding-steady segment. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. So stick around with us. We'll be right back. 